Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> um, this is a weird little tangent, but uh, I, I'm, we're trying to record the audio and the, and the video together. The audio works great here. Uh, the video works great there, but they don't work great together. So uh, for any of you that have seen old school, the little clappers, you know, when they say action, that's what that's for. So I can line up my audio and my video. It makes it easy on me. I know that seems silly, but um, it's going to help. So we're going to be in um, primarily in Matthew 27 today. Uh, We're going to have a lot of biblical reading. Um, Before we get into it, uh, next week, John Crawford should be here, should be here for the next two weeks, uh, which is great. It's a possibility that we may have a guest speaker uh, the following week. Um, Most likely, that's what it looks like. So uh, y'all please be here in support of John and hopefully Joshua, if he can make it. Um... But before we get started, I first wanted to apologize because what I, what I tend to do, to do, for those of you that know that I put these on YouTube, is I'll go back every week and I'll listen to them. And I'll listen to them not for ego or, oh, hey, I clicked it again and now my views went up, right? No, it's, it's for my own learning purposes because I notice that I say things all of the time, like right. I'll be up here and I'll be saying something and I'll go, right? And then I actually counted and it was 36 times last week. So I do this for uh, learning purposes. But I, I noticed um, last week that I came across a bit sanctimonious. Um, and what I mean by that is uh, seeming morally superior. And by no means is that the, the case. Yeah, I know. It's sanctimonious to have to explain that, right? I know. But I, there was no other word for it. Um, uh, I thought of the same thing. I'm like, that's silly, but it is what it is. <laughs> um, um, because the, the reason I say that is because I say too too often you and, and instead of me, or I say uh, too often um, y'all instead of us, right? Um, so you did it again. Now you guys aren't going to be able to not hear it. Um, but what I mean by that is too often last week, I made it seem like the sermon or the message was about you when it is about us. I should be saying me way more often than I am. So with that, uh, I thought it was only fitting approaching Easter to build up Easter, uh, to build up the anniversary of Christ's resurrection that we talk about the most important day in history. So um, we're going to read Matthew 27, starting verse 36, and we'll be going into um, chapter 28. So I want us to read the historical account of Christ's resurrection. And then we're going to go back and we're going to look at a specific group that often gets overlooked. <clears throat> so Matthew 27, verse 36. It says, And then they had crucified him. They divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. 
Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. I want to pause there. That's something that gets overlooked a lot. Y'all study that. That's pretty wild. Okay. Uh, verse 54. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. And the next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive that after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people. He is risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. So Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Matthew 28, starting in verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he has said. So come see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed and quickly from the uh, they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is where I want to uh, uh, emphasize today. 
While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people that his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. We can stop there and say amen. Right? That's fantastic. That's the Easter story. That's the gospel summed up. Uh, way better than I can do it. Um, but ever since I was a born-again Christian, uh, see, I'd titled this sermon, Seeing is Believing, for a purpose. Because since I've been a born-again Christian, whenever I read this account, um, specifically in Matthew, I'm perplexed the most by the Roman guard, this Roman guard that they had set up. So before we discuss why, uh, I want to define what this Roman guard is, because this group often gets misrepresented. Uh, ordinarily, when people read this, they imagine two lazy Roman soldiers. I think I have a picture up. Yeah, this is normally what we, what we think of when we see this Roman guard, right? Uh, we think, uh, here's a couple guys that uh, don't want to be here anyway. They got sleepy, uh, so they started leaning up against their spears, right? So anyway, um, this is not what the Roman guard actually looked like. Uh, this is not an accurate accurate depiction. When the, when the uh, Rome set up a guard, this is their version of the Navy SEALs. It's the best way I can explain it. Uh, this is a group of about 15 to 20 of the most dedicated and disciplined soldiers they had. Go to the next picture for me. So in reality, this is probably a more accurate depiction of this Roman guard. Again, go back if, if you're interested. Uh, don't take my word for it. Go back and look this up. It is really interesting to see uh, who consisted of this guard. So they took this so seriously that they said, we're going to take our best soldiers and we're going to place them here and we're going to charge them with this task. Okay, now, so think of these men as, these, these are the, these men took this job so seriously. This was the, uh, the guard, the, the royal guard at, at um, in, in London, right? This was, or uh, the guards at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier in D.C. These guys took their job more than serious. It was their life, okay? So they, they're not to be trifled with. Uh, so to give kind of a synopsis of what their duty was here, uh, they were placed on a three to four hour shift. And if one of them fell asleep while on their shift, he wasn't just killed. He was beaten nearly to death, stripped naked, strung up on a pole, and they burned him alive with his own armor. Okay? And they burnt his armor because it was such a disgrace to Rome. And then after they did that, they killed the remainder of the guard. So this is how serious these men took this job. They did not take it lightly. They did not fall asleep because they were weary. Right? These men were on guard. They understood um, their task at hand. So I want to stop for a moment and, and make a point. When we read these accounts, these biblical accounts, we need to do the work 
and fully understand the picture. We f- need to fully understand the context of what's going on. You know, it's it's good to compare not only different versions of Scripture, but go back. You know, Spartacus was a great resource. Even though it's fiction, uh, it was a great resource to understand what crucifixion actually looked like. It goes into a little more depth. Or these Roman soldiers. Um so do, we need to do some research so we can get this full picture because we often pervert what is actually true. And we do that ordinarily in order to make it more palatable for people. That, that's what it comes down to. Because what we say that we believe is far-fetched. It is hard to believe. So in order to convince someone... And I use those words intentionally. In order to convince someone to believe what I believe, I must make it more easily convincible. So we should be intentionally on guard that we are not uh, misrepresenting the scriptures. Because when we do, we are aiding the ploys of Satan himself. Because that's what he wants. He wants us to dilute the truth. So by doing that, we are robbing God of his glory. This is why this is so important. We need to understand the full capacity of what's going on here. So when the angel descended, it says the angel descended, that the men fell like dead men. Okay, so this wasn't some, some I'm, I'm leaning up against my spear, I'm tired. They fell down and were as dead men, all of them. We need to understand what's going on. So this was like a gas bomb got thrown out there. Every one of them's out cold, right? There's no chance of one of them waking up. So why does this matter? Because this guard and these men that were bound by honor, they're bound by honor. What should they have done? Knowing full well what what was going to occur to them, what was going to happen, should they fail their task? They were still so bound by honor they went back and told on themselves. They're ready to die. I failed at my task. They laid themselves at, at um, the mercy of the Pharisees. So upon hearing this, um, these soldiers were bribed and they were told to lie about what truly happened. So here's a quick question I want us to ponder. Why were these men not killed? This would have, they would have been killed under any other circumstances. Why were they not? They not only failed their duty, um, but they were so bound by honor that they reported themselves back. So why were they not killed? Because the priests knew the truth. They knew it was true. They knew it was true and it terrified them. So they said, you know what? Take this money and go tell these people that you fell asleep. Now understand, if a Navy SEAL decides he's going to be sent out on a certain mission and he fails and then he goes back to his family and his friends and everyone else in the nation and says, yeah, I failed because I fell asleep. How is that going to look? But they did it anyway. Are we beginning, are we beginning to understand this picture? So... They knew the truth. They knew something supernatural had happened to them. And they knew this because it says uh, that they understood that truly this was the Son of God. Um, you know, this is what I, what I mean by seeing is believing, right? So obviously, it's tongue-in-cheek because that is not true. We say that all the time. Um, 
you know, I know that I have said it before, and we at least know someone that has said something similar. Maybe you don't say seeing is believing, but I won't believe that until I see it. That's just not true. It's not true. Now, how do we know it's not true? Exhibit A, right? We have the scriptures that show us. That's our empirical data. We know that's not true. But um, to give you a, a brief anecdote to go along with this, um, a few months ago, it was probably about a year ago, actually, I interviewed a close friend of mine. And he's not a, he's not a Christian. Uh, he's not a self-professed Christian by any means. But we got on the topic of uh, eternal things. And when we started discussing it back and forth, we kept it very light. And I said, so he mentioned something about a high, we were designed. And I said, designed by who? And he said, well, I believe in God. I just don't know if it's, I don't know what that God is or if it's a man or what, right? And he said, I really won't know. I won't believe it until I see it. And I said, that's just not true. And he kind of looked at me, what, how do you, what do you mean that's not true? Yes, it is. I'm telling you, it's true. If I saw it, I would believe it. That's not true because you saw Chris Angel levitate over the Vegas Strip. And you know that didn't happen, but you saw it. So seeing is not believing. And when I said that, that guy, he laughed and he was like, I, I did not think about it like that. I guess, I guess you're right. It's not me that's right. It's the scriptures. So people don't believe what they see. What do people believe? They believe what they choose to. People believe what they choose to. Adam, I'm going to pick on you again. I don't always ask for volunteers, but what do people do, son? Adam, what do people do? What they want all the time. You know what people believe? What they want. They believe what they want. So while seeing may not bring about belief, we can see what others believe by their fruit. Uh, Rick Burgess has said it countless times. He said, you may not always believe what you confess, but you will always undoubtedly live what you believe. Meaning that I can say that I believe lying, adultery, and fornication, that those things are sins that separate me from God and will ultimately send me to hell. I can say that I believe that. But if I'm not diligently and intentionally abstaining or avoiding these things, do I really believe it? So how many of us know someone that claims to be a follower of Christ, but doesn't exude any of Christ's characteristics? It's like seeing a group of women, uh, uh, I'm not picking on women, Tammy, <laughs> but it's like seeing a group of women. I, I, I saw this uh, a couple weeks ago at work. Um, uh, probably five or six women were sitting down at a restaurant and they, they bowed their heads and they prayed over their food. And I was like, that's great. I may, I may buy their lunch, you know, because they were unashamed. And then within 10 seconds, their waitress came over and they did not treat her well at all. So that shows me that they, they're projecting something they don't really believe. They don't really believe in tenderness, in meekness, and in kindness with all people, right? They are putting on a good show. Now, am I saying those women aren't Christians? Absolutely not. But I am saying they're not very good ones. Same with me. If, if I am saved, have been saved, am being saved, and will be saved, if that is true, there's work that's being done within me, right? That's the sanctification part. So I'm not saying that if you ever sin from the time you are saved to the time you die, that, that means that you're not going to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that you need to pay attention to that because it might mean that. 
so, um, you know, people say all the time, uh, that we don't, we don't need to judge those people when we see that I'm not judging on a, in a sense that I'm condemning. I do not have authority to send someone to heaven or to hell. I don't have that authority, but we have been given righteous judgment, discernment from God to understand what someone believes. Um, and we're able to distinguish what type of tree someone is based on the fruit. We're told that countless times. Uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 through 23. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. This is Jesus Christ speaking. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And that on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty, many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, you worker of iniquity. Right? Um... Now, perhaps this is describing you. I, I, I think about this, this passage often uh, in one sense is because it's been drilled into me so much. Um, but it makes you really tremble at the idea that I can preach up here on Sundays. I can lead worship. I can be in Bible study. I can pray with my family. I can do all these things. And there are other people out there that fit those same circumstances. And on the last day, Christ will say, away from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. So what's the difference? <clears throat> we need to examine ourselves against the scriptures constantly. Um, do not take my word for it. Do not take your spouse's word for it. Do not take your parents' word for it or your grandparents' word for it. And most assuredly, do not, do not base your salvation on what you believe about salvation. Base it on what the scriptures say. <clears throat> so, a couple of questions. Do you really believe that you are utterly depraved, morally corrupt, and entirely wicked? We went over this this morning. Most people don't. Do you really believe that God is not only full of righteous love, but is also full of righteous wrath against sin? Most people don't. Do you really believe that God will send someone to hell simply for their unbelief in him and their lack of submission to his authority and sovereignty? Most people don't. Do you really believe that Jesus Christ was and is the Son of God, God in the flesh that lived a perfect sinless life on earth in order to be the perfect sacrifice sufficient to pay for your sins? Most people don't. Do you really believe that after three days of being dead and buried in a tomb, right, he stinketh. That Jesus Christ had the authority over even death to the point to where he rose from the dead. Most people don't. Do you really believe that he ascended into heaven and now sits at the right hand of the Father waiting for the command to return and reclaim his creation? Most people don't. Here's the real question. 
Is there any part, any part of what I just said that you don't agree with entirely? Is there any part of that that you do not believe? Because most people believe it in part. Most people we know believe it in part. But few believe it in its entirety. And I would submit to you today that if you do not believe this in its entirety, then you have believed in a false gospel. And by doing so, you have believed in a false God. You might call him Jesus Christ. This is one of the things I've learned this year. You might call your God Jesus Christ, but he very well may not be the Jesus Christ of the scriptures. Um, my point is this. Um, the Mormons believe in a Jesus Christ. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe in a Jesus Christ. The Muslims believe in a Jesus Christ. The devout Catholic believes in a Jesus Christ. But none of these are the Jesus Christ of the scriptures. So be careful when you're discussing this. Make sure you define your terms, who this Jesus is that you're discussing. This is the one, the Jesus Christ that I am referring to today is the one in whom we have salvation by grace, uh, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So I'd like to wrap things up by saying that if you're even... Ask, if you have even asked for a sign or wanted to see something supernatural, you know, Donald uses that, that um, analogy all the time. Of it, it doesn't matter what I could see supernatural, but if anything, it would cause me to believe further. And he has even stated this very thing that it wouldn't. <clears throat> but maybe you've asked for a sign. That doesn't mean you're not a Christian, okay? I want, I want to express that today. Just because if you've ever said, God, show me a sign. God, if you will del just deliver me from this one thing that I'm going through, I promise I'll live my life for you from here on out. Whatever. That doesn't mean you're not a Christian. But you may just be able to relate to Thomas. So over in John chapter 20. Over in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. <clears throat> It says, Now Thomas was one of the twelve called the twin, and he was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the marks of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Sound familiar? Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put, your hand out, uh, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. We are not told in this passage that Thomas places his finger in his hands or his hand at his sides. I don't think, I don't think he did. So seeing really believing? So the question is, what do people believe really? Look at your life 
Examine what you are showing the world that you believe. Don't be like the Romans that knew the truth, suppressed the truth, and sold the truth. They exchanged it willingly for a lie. Do not be deceived because it is easy to be. And unless you are verifying things with God's word, you will be deceived. So I charge you and myself with that self-examination. But I want to encourage you and myself today to know that for those who have not seen yet still believe, you are blessed. You are the object of God's favor, the creator God who knows all things, controls all things, and is altogether lovely and altogether holy. He knows you personally. He loves you. And one day we will dwell with him in heaven as joint heirs in Christ Jesus. So during this, this, this time, this season, this Easter season, when we recognize and, and commemorate when Christ brought himself from death to life, let's remember and rejoice together that he has brought us from death to life also. Zach, will you pray for us, please?